It's been said that good things come in threes. The rule of three principle suggests things that come in threes are inherently more humorous, satisfying and effective than any other number of things. For Old Parade, the rule of three couldn't ring truer. In 1929, it was three gentlemen, Lou Arthur, Frank Mount and Percy Matthews, who founded the club on the first of their three home grounds, Warringal Park, Yarra Park and now Garvey Oval. In A section through the 1960s, they won three flags in a row. Not once, but twice. Since that dominant era, Parade has claimed three more premierships in 1971, 1986 and 2015. All three celebrated with the same spirit, gusto and pride that previous parade sides before them had done so. The ninth oldest club in the VAFA has had legendary coaches and players, champions of the VFL and AFL, legends of the Big V and grassroots heroes. They've also had their own share of adversity but through sheer determination remain in the competition due to the tireless work of many during the fight back of the 2000s. As they look to make their way back to the highs of the golden age, we delve deep into the history of one of the most successful Catholic clubs with some of their very greatest. Welcome to another edition of the Club in Focus podcast. Today we are looking at all things old Paradians Amateur Footy Club. Yes, the Green and the Purple Army who reside out at Garvey Oval. And it wouldn't be possible without the help and support of our good friends, Mequacare. They've been around since 1959, a not-for-profit organisation doing great things within the community. Of course, my name is Joe Pignataro, and to do this particular podcast and all particular Ammo's podcasts, I couldn't do it without the help of the great man down the line. He's still the best-looking man in the Ammo's. He's the smoothest. He's the voice. He's the face of the Ammo's. He's Mr. Nick Armstead. He is a Richmond flog, but he joins us now. Hello, Nico. Hello, Joseph. Thank you for that introduction. As always, you're lying. You're lying to new listeners. Um, no, I'm very, very excited about old Paradians. Now, we have, I suppose, from a podcast point of view, talked about Parade and two Parade people a few times over the past few years. You single-handedly <laughs> killed their season when we spoke to Chris Candelakis <laughs> a few years ago, which us, we can get him on the line. But I'm very much looking forward, having done a little bit of research, like obviously Parade have an incredible history and we've got some incredible interviewees lined up to tell us all about it. They certainly are. We are going to chat to some of the biggest names involved in the footy club, Nico. Paddy Mount and Vinnie Arthur are going to join us to take a look at the early years of Old Parade. That includes the most dominant run at the time when it happened in amateur history. We know what old Zavs have done since in the in the late 90s, but Old Parade in the uh, 60s were, were bigger than the Collingwood machine of the 20s and the Melbourne machine of the 50s this old parade side, uh, Vinnie Arthur as well as part of that. Dominic Spillane, one of the greats of old parade, named in John Anderson's 
Team of the 50 years on the wing. He's going to join us also named on the wing in old parades. Team of the century through the middle years, as well as Peter Brabender or Brabender, as we're going to call him throughout this podcast. When we chat, when we'll ask him the official pronunciation. He is the game's record holder of not only parade, but of the Ammos, 428. And hasn't he got a story to tell about game number 400? He'll tell us about that, as will you a bit later on. Then we'll look at the current day. Daniel Spitty's going to join us, as is my great friend Chris Scandalakis. Yes, we're going to reunite after parade with 14-0 when the wheels fell off, and it's not my fault that that happened. All we wanted to do that day was celebrate the fact that they were about to go through the season undefeated and uh, the wheels fell off. They got ahead of themselves, but that's not my fault, Nico. That is not my (laughs) fault. We are putting them in lights today. We're talking about their successful years, but to do all that, we need to go back to the very start. We need to go back to 1929 when the club was formed under three particular names. As we mentioned, we're going to chat to uh, a couple of them the fathers of these men, Lou Arthur and Frank Mount, as well as Percy Matthews, founded this footy club back in 1929. And what a year 1929 was, Joseph. Not just the year that old Paradians came in alongside East Melbourne and one or two other clubs, but also in the across the entire world there were things happening, Joseph. And you know I love to touch yes. on what happened. Just to give you an idea about how long ago it actually was, this amazing, magnificent club was formed. It was also the same year that Popeye the Sailor Man made his first appearance on the Thimble Theatre comics. That was the first time he was seen. The last time he was seen was at the 2016 Media Day wearing a St. Bernard's jumper <laughs> with your little pipes coming out, little Joe Popeye Pignataro. <laughs> 1929 was also the first car radio was made by Motorola and the first of the iconic red phone booths appeared in London. Oh, wow. Bob Hawke, our boy from West Brunswick, Bob Jane and Peter Thompson, the legendary golfer, were all born in 1929. But not everything was positive. Obviously, Joseph, there were some negative things going on in Australia and across the world. The Wall Street crash, which started the period of the Great Depression. Um, They had the St. Valentine's Day massacre involving the crime gangs of Al Capone and Bugs Moran. And probably the most negative thing to happen particularly in Australia in 1929, was that Collingwood won their third of four consecutive premierships. And I think that we can all agree that was a dark day in Australia's history. But what a year 1929 was. Same year that our great Raiders were born into the Amos. I knew you would say that it would be a bad year when Collingwood beat the Tigers by 29 points on grand final day in front of 63,000 people. I just knew you were going to take that path. But that is all fantastic stuff. Fascinating to know about the uh, phone booths in London and, of course, Popeye. I love Popeye. But you missed one, Nico. You missed one. Mm. It's close to home for Old Parade. Probably still gives them some heartache when they read about this particular story. Ever heard of the name Alan LaFontaine? Ooh, that's a big, popular name. Very, very good footballer. Oh, this is He may be better than very good because in 1929, in the debut oh. year for Old Parade, Alan LaFontaine lines up at full forward and kicked 146 goals. 146 goals in a year that they don't win the flag, but Allen dominates. And to make matters worse for them, after he dominates, he puts a transfer in to go to Uni Blacks and play there in 1930. How do you not keep Alan LaFontaine at your club after a season like that? Is that the best one-year career at any club that you've ever heard? It has to be. I spent... Many hours last night trawling history of AFL, VFL footy clubs. And, of course, you know, John Coleman did what he did. Tony Lockett did what he did. 
Dunstall, Ablett. They didn't do it in one year in their first year and then go to another club the next year. That <laughs> 146 goals. He was almost there with Bob Pratt, who kicked 150, and Peter Hudson, Amazing. who kicked 150 in the 70s. That doesn't come close to anything I've ever seen before or heard about before or read about before. That is a phenomenal effort in their inaugural year of the footy club. I don't know if anyone's beaten that in the VAFA history. Has someone kicked more than 146 goals in their debut season? In their season at all? Someone on Twitter will have to tell us, at Vaffa underscore HQ. Um, fascinating stuff. What is more fascinating, of course, is the Six Flags in the seven years throughout the 60s, starting Mate. in 1962, 1963, and 1964. By the end of 1964, they became the sixth club in amateur history to win three straight flags. You thought they were just going to go on and win 1965, but they did not. They finished fourth and they bomb out the finals. Heads are going to roll. That's what I want to find out throughout this podcast is what happened in 1965. Because then they bounced back to the top of the tree, Nico, in 1966. They won that, and they won it in the closest possible margins. I think I've ever seen a final series won in. They win the uh, elimination final to Caulfield, a knockout final by six points. The prelim final to Coburg by five points. They win the grand final by nine points. Talk about how's your heart through September in 1966. Then, of course, 1967 they win again, and 1968. A dominant period. In 1969, for people playing at home, they did make the prelim in A grade. Unfortunately, didn't get through to the grand final. But if they did, we may be looking at a club to have won seven A-grade flags in eight years. Well, that's a big if, and there's probably no point in even touching on 1969, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but you know what I love to do, Joseph? I love to find out the secrets to success. Yes, and you I do. Think that's asking uh, Vinnie Arthur today, and that's going to be amazing. But what I also love to do is to go back into history and to see if there's any little indiscretions about the clubs that we should know about heading into these podcasts. Yes. We've done it every single week, and we've got some questions here heading into the 1960 period that I found in the For Love of the Game Centenary book. It says there was little reason to believe that old Paradians that are about to enter the golden age in the 60s. Since joining the VAFA in 1926, the club had spent much more time in B and C sections than in A. Success when it came was as sudden as it was enduring. When the club won the first of three successive premierships in 1962, it was in fact the first time the club had even made the A section finals. As usual in amateur football, you could say as usual just in the world, the little green envy monster clearly came out when success came unexpectedly. There were rumours of dubious practice from <laughs> Club godfather, Lou Arthur, he was basically the Lindsay Fox of the times. He was a trucking tycoon. And there were suggestions in some quarters that players arriving at his depot on Saturday mornings for cleaning duties used to find envelopes with their names on them in waste paper bins. In fact, success came as it usually does by sound administration bringing good players together under a shrewd coach. That coach being Maury Considine, ex-Hawthorne, and he was able to build and hold together a team around the Booth brothers, Russell Lewis, Laurie Wakeling, Spanner Williams, Dennis Dalton, and Brian Wayman. But even back in 1960, Joseph, there were these garbage, rubbish rumours <laughs> of paying players on the side because no one can accept other clubs that are actually just really good at what they do. It's a theme that just continues to follow every club with success across every level. Um, 
You haven't got any stories of them kicking a club out of the Yamos anywhere. They haven't kicked themselves out at all, have you? They were part, and oh, I didn't want to bring this up. It's come up in another podcast, but they were actually part of the group of clubs alongside all Zavarians and a few others that got together and banded together and said, no, we won't. We don't want Collingwood in our competition. They were part of the eight or nine clubs that came together to have them disbarred from coming into the Amos. Oh, you, why would you do that at the start of this podcast? You know I'm not, I've lost interest now. I've lost interest. I've got no, no reason to want to talk to any of our guests. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. They uh, had one of the most dominant periods in Amos history, and, and I can't wait to get stuck into it, and we're going to do that right now because hanging on the line is Vin Arthur. His father is one of the founding members of Old Parade back in 1929, and I cannot wait to talk to Vin Arthur about that and about his time with Old Parade. This is very exciting because every week we talk about the clubs in focus and we talk about the founding fathers, and we're going to go into the family of one of the founding fathers. I'm talking about Vin Arthur, who's about to join us. His father, Lou, was one of the three founding members of the club, along with Frank Mount and Percy Matthews. And Vin joins us now. Hello, Vin. Uh, good morning, Nick and Joe. Vin, thanks for joining us. Um, I want to go back to the very start, to your your personal involvement or your earliest memory of coming down to old, old Parade, the old boys. How did it happen for yourself? Did you come down with Dad and just stay around ever since? Uh, no, really went down with my mother. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, my late mother, well, she was a great supporter of obviously my late father, uh, as you say, <coughs> been... Uh, uh, with the club, <clears throat> excuse me, since 1929. But the, <clears throat> my earliest memories would be going down to the the old Scotch Oval there in Yarra Park, uh, somewhere around about, probably about 1948 or, or thereabouts when I would have been a seven-year-old. Mum used to take, uh, well, my uh, sister and late elder brother and younger brother who was pretty young then, but We'd go down uh, most Saturdays, and uh, she would take the uh, uh, the afternoon tea for and the chocolate biscuits uh, for the halftime break. When in those days there were quite a number of Christian brothers actually uh, still about who uh, uh, obviously enjoyed going down to watch the old boys as well. So it was really through Mum who was supporting Dad from the late nineteen forties. And then through your conversations with your father about. I mean, why did he want this burning desire to set up a footy club in the area? Was it just because he lived there, he loved footy, and he just wanted a team to call his own? Or what were some of the reasons behind setting up the Old Parade Association? Well, in some ways, didn't really have some of those in-depth conversations until it was uh, too late to be able to have them. But uh, so I observed, you know, the first, I think, four years of the Old Parade was down at Warringal Park, you know, the centre of Heidelberg, which is... Uh, the centre of where so much of Dad's life was. So why they actually uh, first had their first few years at Warringal Park, I've got to say I, I'm, I'm not totally aware of that other than it would be Dad's influence and his living in uh, the area at the time. But then I think from around about 1933 or 34, we uh, parade moved into uh, Yarra Park and... Uh, shared uh, uh, the ground there with uh, Old Scotch Collegians for 
many years until I think the second oval in Yarra Park was opened up somewhere in the, uh, it was probably the, the mid-1960s. So that uh, we had a long and uh, I gather a happy relationship with Old Scotch for, for many years at the Old Scotch uh, ground. And well, I started with the club in 19. 19- 60 when I left school and we still had the cold showers going down in the the pavilion. (laughs) You've clearly started at a pretty good time then, Vin, in the early 1960s because, as we know, Old Parade have gone on to then win six of the next seven flags. I suppose what are your memories and recollections of that period being one of the most dominant clubs, I suppose, in Baffer history? Well, that uh, as a footballer I was... uh, Struggling around the fringes, but as I look at the record, I'm I'm not surprised. We had uh, some wonderful footballers down there at the time. But uh, again, as I think back, uh, you know, in later years, that must have been such a glorious time in uh, uh, my late father, Lou Arthur's life, because uh, he would have been, well, obviously with the club at that stage for 30-odd years, and uh, that We'd had our first Seagrave Premiership in 1951. I have memories of my late mother unfurling the flag in 1952. Then there was the the, the B-grade Premiership in 1958, and my memories of that are unfortunately a bit distant because I was still at school and we were on a cadet camp up at Puckapunyal. So uh, my brother Lou did play in that successful team, but then... During the 60s was a wonderful era, but when I, I think of it, well, it was great success, but when Dad loved, you know, he, he loved Heidelberg and he loved the parade boys from Heidelberg. And when you look at, uh, you know, the first, uh, Johnny Booth was the captain of those earliest teams. Russell Lewis was a wonderful footballer. David Jones was a wonderful footballer. Brendan Danaher then captained them to another couple of premierships. So, and Johnny obviously had two younger brothers who uh, performed uh, with uh, in those premiership years. So that I think Dad had that additional uh, love for what was going on at the time, because well, we had, he had lost uh, uh, his uh, uh, beloved wife and my mother in 1956 which, as I remember, was about a month before the Olympic Games. And Dad had obviously uh, uh, planned uh, a period, uh, an enjoyable time at the Olympic Games with uh, our late mother, with Fosson to be. But uh, he was a brave man. And I think he was so well rewarded during the 60s with the success that the club had. That's wonderful, Vin. I just want to, in discussions with your father over the years, was there... Was there anything he did or anything the club did that you could put down to being the secret of the six ball, the secret behind the six flags in seven years? One of my favourite memories of my dear late father was the four, I'm pretty sure it was the first of the A-grade grand finals in 1962. We, I can recall on grand final Eve, he was, you know, in his own way, he was a bit worried perhaps about how uh, you know, some of the perhaps the more adventurous uh, players might spend that grand final eve. So what he, he did was he invited uh, several of them to come around home to watch a little bit of television. And I think amongst the players were Neil Pavetta, 
um, Brian Wayman, with Johnny Booth, uh, I think Brian Yankee Parker, who was another Heidelberg boy whose name I admitted to mention, and I think Russell Lewis. But the evening went along and we uh, enjoyed watching a little bit of television. And then around about nine o'clock, Dad said, now, come on, boys, we'll all kneel down and say the rosary. <laughs> and that's how <laughs> the final sort of hour on grand final leave was, was spent at uh, Dad's home at uh, Bankshire Street in Heidelberg. <laughs> and they were all put in, you know, I, I still get emotional at the memory of it, but uh, he, he was uh, sort of making sure <laughs> he was dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and leaving nothing to chance in uh, his approach to that grand final success. <laughs> You've touched on quite a few of the stars, I suppose, of that era, including Johnny Booth, who has played in the most premierships at Parade, that being eight. But another one I wanted to try and rack your brain and your memory about was your ruck in the team of the century, Fred Proctor. Now, Fred, in the 1967 premiership, against Melbourne High School old boys. Um, he kicked two goals in the final term. And I read a passage in the For Love of the Game centenary book where they said that Fred was the worst kick in the team by an absolute mile, but he's gone and he's kicked two goals in that last quarter. Do you remember, I suppose, Fred and that period of time? Yeah, no, I have wonderful memories of Fred. Fred, I think, had come across from South Australia, and uh, whether he was working in the tax department or was brought down by one of our, you know, a number of old paradians, used to go into the tax department, and uh, that was uh, where we did recruit, you know, a number of players that didn't have connection to any clubs in existence at that stage. And Fred was certainly one of those, and he was a very awkward uh, footballer. He was one of those footballers that you say was uh, uh, had a lot of uh, bones on his elbows and that sort of thing. And, <laughs> but he uh, was a, he actually uh, was a, a brilliant footballer in his own way, but he, he was a shocking kick <laughs> and uh, to achieve two goals at that vital stage of a grand final. Uh, he must have called for some divine inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Vin, Nick's just asked you about 1967. I just want to go back 24 months earlier. You guys are gunning for four premierships in a row in 1965. Uh, by yeah. all reports, you finish fourth, and unfortunately you yeah. don't make the grand final. Now, yeah. now, what's the aftermath of not winning a fourth flag in a row? <laughs> oh, I think from as far as my dear late father was concerned, uh, it was reinvigoration. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't rest easily with, uh, um, you know, uh, it, look, and I, I need to be careful. Dad was inspired by wanting to do the best in life outcomes for all of those um, uh, fellows that were down at the club. And as I did uh, indicate earlier, you know, we, we were a contingent of, you know, at least uh, probably 60% at least of old Paradians. But there were, in those days, some, you know, St. Patch Ballarat, Assumption, Kilmore, CBC, St. Kilda, CBC, St. Bernard, CBC, North Melbourne, they didn't have their own teams. And... Uh, 
being situated, uh, you know, within a heartbeat of the uh, uh, city of Melbourne and Melbourne University, um, there were a lot of young men that came down and dad, uh, uh, half his in enjoyment was seeing the success that these younger people uh, were going on to have in their lives. You know, Brian Wayman in particular is one I recall who were, came down, um, I think he had had a year or two in a Christian Brothers novitiate and came back down to Melbourne, you know, a little bit lost, but he was taken under Dad's wing and when uh, he eventually graduated as a lawyer and went down to work in Warrnambool with Dad's brother-in-law, uh, I could not have anticipated anyone being happier in seeing a successful outcome than my late father. Can we just forecast to the end of 1968? You've won, as Nick mentioned before, six out of seven premierships. At the time, it's it's the most dominant era we've seen in the Amos. I know yep. Uni Blacks a little bit earlier in the yep. in the 50s had done something similar, not quite to the yep. extent. But what's the vibe around the place in 1968 when you've got this almighty powerhouse side that you've got? <laughs> uh, look, well, I suppose it's like anything in life uh, – you enjoy while you have it. You can't anticipate it's going to go on forever. You know, especially those who, by 1968, uh, a lot, obviously a lot of those that were enjoying the success also of 1962, 3 and 4, were getting towards the end of their careers. And they've all, you know, that particular group have had so many wonderful memories to look back on. Uh, well, Murray Considine had served his period as uh, a very successful coach. Johnny Booth uh, was uh, completing a successful period as coach. Then the likes of, uh, well, Phil O'Dwyer, Bernie O'Brien, uh, Robbie Burke, uh, well, so Freddie Proctor. These fellows, they were completing a successful career and uh, leaving it to the next generation who were, uh, Again, you know, they've had their their successes, but uh, uh, nothing like the uh, that period of, uh, you know, of Operadian glory uh, that we enjoyed during the uh, uh, the 1960s, which was really a, a wonderful, wonderful time in my late father's life, Frank Mount's life, and the great, uh, you know, a reward in a sense, for the uh, uh, the wonderful love and contributions they've made over a significant period of their lives. I want to ask you about the reward for the contribution, particularly for the Arthur name, Vin. Every time you go down to the Garvey Oval and you see the honour board that's being named um, in honour of that Arthur name, how does that, I suppose, sit with you looking back after all these years? Dad, um, well and truly... Uh, has deserved to be remembered, obviously, in the uh, uh, the history of the Old Paradian Football Club and in the history of uh, uh, Parade College as a school, because it was uh, <coughs> well. I would like I, I, I say his family was his first burning love, and Parade uh, was obviously his uh, second burning love, and then uh, after that, he's probably beloved. Uh, South Melbourne football team, and uh, he, he had dad was not a uh, 
somebody who was endowed with uh, a great deal of sporting ability, but he was endowed with uh, wonderful attributes of loving so many things in life. He was a very successful businessman. He'd been uh, president of the then Victorian Employers Federation for a number of years. And he also was president of the Australian Council of Employers Federation. So Dad had success in uh, eventually through a lot of perseverance in many areas of his life. Now, one name that I presume comes up quite a few times on the Arthur Honor Board would be that of Phil McLaughlin. Now, I know it was a little bit before your time, before the 60s. Phil played particularly throughout the 50s. But did your dad tell you stories about Phil McLaughlin, who is widely regarded as one of the greatest old Paradians players in history? I have many fond memories of Phil McLaughlin, who, uh, uh, as you say, was a brilliant footballer, has a brilliant record, um, was a true gentleman as a as a character. He was during the you know the late forties and during the fifties. He was parade. He was a wonderful rover. Again, when I mentioned that uh, um, Freddie Proctor seemed to. <laughs> have a lot of bones coming out of his body when he was on the football field. <laughs> Phil McLaughlin was a wiry footballer. Look, one, he was a lightly built fellow, but he was he was a protector of younger players. And I, I do remember on one occasion at uh, uh, Fairfield Amateurs Ground when, um, you know, there was some to-do that was going on and... Uh, uh, Phil came in as a protector of the younger fellows. Uh, it did end up in Phil being sent off the ground for, uh, for <laughs> 10 minutes, half an hour's penalty. <laughs> but he had done what Phil had to do. And so he was, he, he was, he was just a, a wonderful character, Phil. And I, I have so many affectionate memories actually of him during his football days and as a contributor around the club after his football days were over. Of course, Vin and, and Nick, he's the captain of the Old Parade Team of the Century that was named a few years ago. There's also, yes. Vin, uh, we read an, a lovely piece on the Old Parade website uh, in regards to a photo that was taken uh, through the 50s of your 100-game players at the time. Dennis Toner, John Booth, your father Lou was in the photo, Jack Ryan yep. and, and Phil McLaughlin, and it, and it sat yep. in, the, um, in the Frank Mount. Uh, change rooms for a number of years. Do yeah. you recall this photo that you've that you've seen and that's been hanging up for a long time? Because we found it on the internet and and we're in awe of it, to be honest. Yes. Now that I think that's just in recent times been circulated because I know I've seen a copy of that myself. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wonderful. Because uh, again, one name I you know just thinking about today is Dennis Toner who is now, uh, he's, I'm sure he's at, at least 90, and he has been a wonderful supporter about the, the football club for so many, so many years. And he would almost be the, the longest living uh, member of the 1951 Premiership team. You spot on. He turned 90 earlier this year, Vin, and part of the uh, the piece that he was asked about his secret to being 90 and his longevity, uh, oh, right. he replied with this as his answer. Footy right. and beer. 
That's my relaxation. Although with footy currently postponed, I now sit down to do the crosswords over a couple of stubbies. Does that just sum Dennis up? That's Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, Dennis just loves life. He, he lives for, for his sport and obviously, well, he, he lives for his couple of beers a day too. And, Vin, just as we let you go, I mean, you've got a lifetime with the old parade with the connection from your dad who founded the footy club right through to the present day. I mean, can you sum up at all in a couple of sentences what the footy club does mean to you and, and to the Arthur family? means a huge amount to the Arthur family. I suppose my uh, greatest wish at this stage would be to see us uh, work our way back up to uh, uh, A grade and be a successful club. But uh, I, I hope and pray that the, the day will come when uh, we do improve. Vin, it's been an absolute pleasure spending some time going down memory lane with you about your time with Old Parade. We, we've loved every yeah. minute of it and, and we appreciate you being so generous with your time. Take care. Thank you for giving me the time. Bye-bye now. Well, Nick, we now move from one famous name at Old Parade to the next famous name at Old Parade. We just spoke to Vinnie Arthur about his father, Lou, and his time at Old Parade. We're now going to move over to the Mount family. We're going to chat to Pat Mount. His father, Frank, was uh, great friends with Lou and one of the founding members of Old Parade. Of course, the social rooms out at Garvey Oval are named after his father, Frank. Frank was a senior coach for six years. Pat was part of the 1968 Premiership number six in the six in a row. He joins us now. And, Pat, just take us through some of those golden times, that golden era. How much fun did you guys have playing footy in the 60s? Uh, how are you going? Thanks, Joe. No, we had a good time. It was great in those days. And uh, and Dad uh, Dad was uh, always involved at the old Paradians Footy Club right from the start. And uh, as you have just said, and uh, I believe he, he died when he was... Um, 86 in 1989 and uh, he had been 60 years continually on the committee of the old Freudians footy club and he'd been president wow. coach chairman and vice president and so he and Lou were you know both the, the, Lou Lou was on it until he died as well but he died a bit earlier Lou yeah they, and they were great mates they're on the phone every day when I was a kid They'd be on the phone every day to each other talking about the footy and, and uh, what to do with the team, <laughs> selections, all the things that you go through with the footy club, you know. Uh, it was their life and, uh, you know, they're both successful in business, but you know, it was a great interest that they had and, and like, you know, most amateur clubs, fantastic really, very dependent on those uh, few key people in most clubs and uh, they did it, they loved it, they had a great time, they always enjoyed it, they always had a beer after the game and talk about it and had all that fun that went along with amateur footy. It was good. I think what's just been a little bit overlooked here, and I'm not sure how many games he did play, but I'm told your father, Frank, played uh, some footy with Carlton in the VFL yeah, as well. Yeah, he, he, played, uh, he played four games with Carlton, and uh, I've got a little medal in the draw where he, he, he received the uh, best player for the final series in the seconds uh, when they won the premiership. And it was in those days, it was a curtain raiser to the, uh, the first game as well, the first, uh, you know, the VFL grand final in those days, which is now AFL, of course. But, uh, yeah, so he, he played in front of a, you know, a, a packed MCG and and, uh, and uh, got the Best Player Award, which was great, and the winning premiership team with the second, which was, you know, the highlight of his career. Yeah, he had happy memories of all those things. I asked Vin this question. I'm going to ask the same thing to yourself. When you yeah. spoke to your dad as you were growing up, did you ever ask him about the reasons why 
he wanted to start a footy club out there? Is it purely because you lived out that side of town? Did uh, did Louis Arthur nah. just pull on his coattails a little and say, come with me on this? Or what was his reasons for, for being part of well, this? They, uh, so both schoolmates at parade school, dad didn't stay there very long. He had to leave school in, at the end of year nine. when that, So he would have been only seven, eight, and nine at parade. But uh, they loved the school and, uh, you know, they just thought, you know, the kids leave early and they've got that hiatus between leaving school and getting married and that. And they thought, you know, a footy club's great for the for the kids when they leave school, you know, a good healthy thing. Like most people in footy clubs, they, uh, they love the boys, you know, the young boys and uh, keeping them in a good environment, in a healthy mind and a healthy body, that type of thing. Uh, keep them out of trouble, a good environment, and, you know, keep up with all their schoolmates and... Uh, and establish long friendships with very often, you know, lifelong friendships that they develop from footy clubs and school, you know, and uh, uh, they loved all that. They loved the the the, um, the type of uh, the atmosphere of the school and the and their principles. It was all about being a, a you know good person, helping other people, helping people around. So footy clubs are where you help other people, isn't it? And uh, there's so many volunteers in all the footy clubs. They do terrific work. That was their interest. Uh, they were good mates. They took it on, and uh, and they loved it. They had a lot of fun, and uh, it was very successful. You know, it was good. Well, they did have a lot of success, and I want to ask you specifically about your time playing and playing in the 1968 flag. I just want to ask about the type of pressure that you may have felt as a collective, knowing that three in a row has been done before not that long ago, and we're going for three in a row now. It was your first one. Were you feeling any of that pressure to go, geez, we need to get this second his second three-peat? Not really, I don't think. Uh, you know, we had a fantastic lot of good footballers down at the club at the time. There was, uh, we won, that in 68, we won the firsts and the seconds and the under-19s in, 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 the, in the A-grade amateurs and, and we won all games uh, fairly comfortably. <laughs> we had a pretty good side. You know, there was a lot of uh, spirit down there. We'd done well during the season and, uh, you know, we were only fairly young. We didn't feel a lot of pressure, I don't think. You know, it wasn't too bad at all. We we enjoyed it, really. It was different in those days. We, we uh, you know, I was married by the time I was 22. I had four kids by the time I was 30 and I had a business at 26. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to fit footy and amongst all these things. And I remember Lou saying to me, Pat, you know, the most important thing is your study. You know, he used to say to me, don't neglect your study. You know, it wasn't all about footy. It was about the it's about the boys, really. You know, giving them all a, a good environment and every chance in life. And uh, the winning was a bonus, and there's no doubt about that. Dad used to say, uh, "Winning beer tastes better than losing beer." Was one of his was one of his sayings. <laughs> I think we'd all agree with that. <laughs> Ain't that the truth, Pat? Ain't that the truth? And I can tell you what: if you'd done all that by thirty, what are Joey and I doing with our lives? Let me assure you. I I just want to ask you about um. One of the coaches. Now, you had two really, really successful coaches throughout that 60s period. The first being Maury Considine, the second being John Booth, who obviously you came under in the 68 flag. What can you tell us about John Booth as a coach um, and as a player and as a teammate? Well, he was a very straightforward type of guy, John. You know, he, he was a builder and uh, he was, he was you know, very straight to the point. And he was one of the boys, you know, he, he was... He'd been captain of the team just under Murray Considine. He was captain of most of the uh, premiership teams that Murray coached. He was a different style. Murray was a, like a Kennedy's commandos type of attitude. <laughs> he, he, he trained under John Kennedy and uh, he went through the 
Kennedy Commando thing, and he came down to the old Paradians with that, and I think we were the fittest team around. Uh, he ran us, he ran us ragged, you know, around all the streets and everything. And uh, John was different. He he was a different style. He still, you know, fitness was all important, and winning was, you know, important and all that type of thing. But uh, it was a different attitude. He was more low key, Johnny Booth, and and. Uh, and straight to the point, and more one of the boys. He had a lot of friends in the in the team that he played with himself, you know. So it was a different atmosphere. Uh, both were good coaches, and both are terrific men, you know. Both terrific guys, you know. Very a lot of depth to their character, you know. Really, some, you know, really decent people, both of them, and uh, always, you know, demanded the best, you know, hundred percent. And they were good, yeah. And they all worked in with Dad and Lou, and there was a great atmosphere there. Now they loved them, you know. They loved, Dad and Lou ran the club pretty well and they were the you know the two main financial backers but um, they all got on well together you know like Johnny Booth and Murray Considine and they were lifelong friends you know and they still all talk fondly about those days uh, right up until now you know they're all a good group of people which is what you need isn't it with a footy club you need a good uh, management good coach and good players <laughs> you need it all if you're going to win premierships you know and, and it's lovely when it happens, you know, it's just a good feel. Certainly yeah. is. Now, Pat, when the club relocated to uh, to the school grounds in Bandura in 1978, um, they yep. made the decision to call the uh, the social rooms the Frank Mount Social Rooms. Uh, I'm not sure if yes. it was in that particular year or not, but when it did come about that they were going to name the social rooms after after you dear dad, I mean, what did it feel like for the family? Was it just overwhelming oh, joy? Oh, it is. It was a. It was a hoot. It was a hoot, and it still is to this day. We we go out there to functions. I go out there to footy functions, and uh, it's, it's lovely to have the rooms named after your father. It's just uh, terrific, really. It was. He really did deserve it. And Lou, I think the you know, pavilions last named after Lou. There's various things out at the school where the Lou's photo is still up there. You know, they were great. You know, members of the school community and also the the footy club and. Uh, but it's a great thing, you know, to have a, a building named after you or a stand or anything like that. Uh, it's a great honour and uh, and it's perpetual, which is terrific. You know, it's a good feeling. And on a personal note, Pat, for, for yourself and, and yourself only, can you describe what the Old Parade Footy Club means to you and has done for you in, in your life? Well, look, it, it, to me, it's been a lifelong thing. I started as far as back as I can remember in my life because that better take us to the footy, you know, which you do with uh, amateur footy, you know, the... He and Lou are about the only two guys that had cars in the early 50s. And, they, you know, people just couldn't afford a car in those days just after the war. None of the players had cars. But, the, you know, Dad would take us down there in the car and we'd have a kick in, you know, quarter time and half time and, and watch the game and all that type of thing. And I remember Ivano footy grounds. You know, the grounds weren't drained so well in those days. I can remember seeing Ivano footy ground without one blade of grass on it. It was like a cow pad. It was just all mud all over the whole ground. You know, it was a wet, wet season. But we had all that and then we played and, the, you know, you, you build up a lot of mates playing footy and a lot of good times, a lot of uh, we partied very hard. I don't know. I, I, I looked back and thought uh, <laughs> we really overdid it. But anyway, we've squeezed There would it have been in. a lot of winners beer back then, Pat. A lot of winners uh, beer. You were all pretty young. You know, we started, I was 17 when I had the first game in the parade. And uh, the, uh, so we were straight from school into it. And uh, and uh, you've got so much energy in it. And uh, people used to, uh, there used to be a party every Saturday night. So we'd, you know, we'd train, play, and then go out. And, uh, we had a wonderful time. It was really all of our social life, and uh, you know, a main part of our social life until we got married. 
and then when we've retired, we've kept in touch. And uh, no, it's been it's been a, a very important part of my life. It still is, really. So it's been a whole life thing, and uh, and that's great, isn't it? Certainly you is, know? Pat. And uh, we've we've loved every minute of spending uh, some time with you today, recapping your memories of old parade, and and hopefully in 2021 we'll see you out at Garvey Oval, and we'll be there supporting old parade, and hopefully there's another premiership on the way to Garvey Oval, and another big function in the Frank Mount Social Club rooms. I know Nick will love to be there with those winning beers and I'm sure he'll put them on ice for you. <laughs> Pat, thanks for joining us. Thanks, John, Nick. How great, Nico, to hear from Vinnie Arthur and from Paddy Mount about the early years of Old Parade. Uh, fascinating to go down memory lane and, and talk about the, the initial startings of the club, how they built themselves up to be where they are today. And, of course, without the people that we're about to talk about, this club wouldn't be in the position they're in today. Well, we want to go through some of the greats of the footy club. Of course, very shortly, we're going to have a chat with Dom Spillane, who I'm sure his name will come up. We're going to have a chat to him in a bit more depth. And I'm sure Peter Brabender, or Brabender, the 400-game superstar who's going to join us, is another one of those names. But is there a couple of others that stick out in, in your research, in your lookings, that uh, just stand atop of the tree when it comes to World Parade? Well, obviously, a lot of their star players, come from the earlier days when they did go through that golden age through the 60s. You've got Dennis Dalton, who won a Woodrow medal in 1963. We already spoke about Phil McLaughlin, two GT Moore medals in 50 and 51. He was ca- he's captain of their team of the 75 years. He's a big V legend. He was one of the inaugural um, members of that. They've got Dom Spillane, obviously, we're going to talk to soon, and Frank Gleeson of more recent times, and Pete. But John Booth was one that you've just got to look back on, and his record just stacks up with the best of them. Four premierships as a coach, and eight premierships altogether as a playing coach. Like That is just simply amazing. The next best is six for quite a few of those players. Um, Maury Constantine, he's the premiership coach. He's a superstar. And Spanner Williams, I interviewed Spanner Williams a couple of years ago, actually, when David Hughes from Old Scotch was elevated to a big V legend. So he was, I think, made a champion in 2007, elevated a couple of years ago. And Spanner Williams was one of his teammates in the big V team because Spanner played three or four years and just a fantastic. He was named in their forward pocket in the team of the century. But as we heard from Vin and Patty, there is just myriad players and dominant players from across the years. And I suppose now you think about the last few years, you've got Chris Candelaka, superstar, and particularly Dave Boundy, who was there through the mid-2000s and really really their star, really their legend of recent times. It's fascinating they um, look at the the names that are those uh, interstate and representative players. I think maybe 10 or 11 of those names that have come through that they have represented have been captain of those representative sides. Real strong leadership qualities come out of Old Parade and, and that team of the century that is available on, on the Old Parade website is just, it makes for fantastic reading with Phil McLaughlin, I'm, the captain, and Johnny Booth as the vice-captain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start something based on that actually because doing the research, you're looking obviously through the Big V champions and Big V legends. As I said, Phil McLaughlin was an original legend back in 2007. But since then, given they've had so many dominant players go through the Big V system, representative system, they've got no other Big V champions. Now I'm going to put it on the Big V committee coming 2021. We need to see more parade players. Like just look at those names. Like Dom Spillane's just one of many Frank Gleason like we watched the 1984 game against the VCFL where we won now that was live streamed a few weeks ago and he was just dominant he was just getting in amongst it with his long sleeves and he was just running around like a rabbit in the headlights like it was fantastic absolutely great so I want to see more 
parade players because their list is extensive and it's amazing of those who have gone on to represent the amateurs. And, and the other part we like to talk about when we do these podcasts are the players who started at Old Parade or have come back to Old Parade from playing at AFL or VFL level. And, and they've got a handful dating back to uh, Johnny Coglin, who played for South Melbourne, uh, the Considines, who, who you mentioned Murray before, but he's, his brothers Bernard and Frank also played for the Hawks. Uh, Adam Patterson, who people will know, he's still around the circles today, part of the Uni Blacks coaching staff and, and coaching fraternity. He was an old parade boy. Uh, Tony Woods played at three footy clubs, Fitzroy, Collingwood, and, and namely Hawthorne. And this is the big one. I, I get to work with him every single day. So he talks about it quite often. And he came to uh, play at Old Parade uh, in 2005 after he finished his, his playing days with Hawthorne and Carlton. He is an Old Parade boy in Daniel Harford. Of course, he is Coach of the Year. Don't want to talk about it in 2015 with St. Kevin's. But I do know that he holds Old Parade quite close to his heart and, and very fondly. And, and he loved the opportunity that he got in 2005 to play at Garvey Oval, Nico. And, and very shortly... We're going to go through their few grounds that they've had over the journey. Not just yet, because hanging on the line is, is Dom Spillane, one of those great players that we talked about just before. He's got a fantastic resume. I'm about to read it out. So just get yourself settled in with a nice cup of tea because we're going to have a chat to Dom Spillane and he is going to be brilliant. I just know it. Nick, we moved from the early years, we go to the middle years, and one man who was a key pillar as part of the 80s with Old Parade, his name is Dom Spillane, he played 159 games, he's a premiership player, he was a captain, he represented Victoria, he represented all Australian selection, he's part of the Old Parade team of the century, and my favourite of course is that he's part of the Amos best team since 1967, written and authorised by Herald Sun's John Anderson. He joins us on the line now. Uh, hello, Dom. Oh, good day, guys. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. That's a, a nice intro. Thanks very much. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic resume. It's one I'm very jealous <laughs> of, Dom. Uh, which of those stick out the most or which are you, are you most proudest of? Is it the premiership? I'm going to assume that being the obvious one, but is there something in there that you think, oh, I'm so glad that I managed to achieve that during my playing days? Oh, it's it's, uh, it's definitely the probably the two premierships. I, I played in the um, the under 19s when we first first left school and all joined together, and then basically played a parade for you know for the next ten or ten or more years with with old schoolmates and um, and all my mates. So the the 1986 premiership was, is is also obviously right right there with that as well. Well, while we're on the subject, let's talk about that 1986 Premiership. You defeated Old Zavarians by 10 points. And we've got down here um, that Michael Skerritt kicked the, I suppose, the sealer in the 20-minute mark in the fourth quarter. But that was because, and we've just found out before we've gone to air on this one, that you're the one who's actually passed it to him with a massive thumping handball. Can you tell us about those memories, about those final few minutes? Yeah, I, I, I can I can probably tell you that the uh, the handball gets longer and longer every uh, <laughs> every time the story gets told. I'm, I'm sure there was a gale behind it, uh, judging by how far it went nowadays. Skeza got the ball and and uh, kicked a kicked a great goal and um, yeah helped us kick clear of, of Xavier. So it was uh, yeah certainly a, a highlight for all of us. It was just fantastic to uh, to beat them, especially considering how. Um, you know they they went on to such uh, yeah such a um, a domination of A grade 
yeah, it was definitely a highlight and uh, and good to win. Yeah, Dom, I've never had quite a year like you had in 1986. Uh, we just mentioned you win the premiership. Uh, you win the club best yeah. and fairest. You're captain of Victoria and you're captain of the All-Australian side. That's a, that's a good year, Dom. By anyone's standards, that's exceptional. It's better than Dustin Martin. Uh, <laughs> tell us about that year itself. I mean, if you if you went back to the preseason of that year, did you have those kind of goals set up for yourself, or did you just want to keep playing to the best of your ability? Uh, I, I never really set too many goals playing footy. I I did a preseason in '86, I think, with um, with Melbourne, uh, and and wasn't wasn't up to um, AFL standards at the time, so it was good to take that fitness back to um, yeah, back to parade and, and build on that. I always did like to think I trained hard and ran hard and all that sort of stuff. So it all, yeah, it, it was. I was probably in peak condition at that time, but um, also got a lot of lucky breaks to you know to to become the, the captain of um, you know the Vic side initially, and then being the victorious. Um, you know, winning the carnival probably makes it a bit easier to to become um, you know the the Australian captain as well. I, I guess it just fell with it. The '86 year, we talked about yeah. your individual accolades, but it was the second time in the club's history that you won a senior flag, a reserves flag, and a nine, under 19 premiership all on the same day in the same year. That would have been one yeah. almighty party uh, back at the club rooms after that. Oh yeah, that was uh, that that was great. We were sort of just just moving into the to the Garvey Oval down there as well at at parade at the college, and um, yeah, huge day. We we had had great depth, and we had uh, just a you know it, it was a time that it was fun to be around the club. Everyone, I suppose, success is uh, is always uh, a lot easier to to um, to enjoy. And uh, yeah, that, it was a, a, a great party and a, and a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Well, talking about your days, Dom, um, wearing the big V jumper, you've played alongside some exceptionally talented amateur players over the years. Bruno Conti, Richard Schober, Phil Kingston, Rob Fuller being one. But one that obviously sticks out is your own old parade teammate, Frank Gleeson, who the old parade MVP award is now named after. Can you tell us about your memories of Frank as a player? Frankie G was exceptional. You know, I don't know if you know, he, he, he came up to Sydney one year and he won there. Um, he, he won the, the comp best and fairest up here. But the um, I think the Swans, to their uh, disadvantage, thought he was too small. But he, he proved time and again that even even though he was um, small in size, his, his ball-winning ability and his, uh, you know, what he did with it was um, was exceptional. Yeah, definitely their loss that they that he didn't go further. He, he certainly, um, you know, you see some of the smaller guys these days. Are, I, I'm thinking of um, Caleb Daniel for for the dogs. You know, just guys like that. They're they're only small, but um, Frank was certainly um, exceptional. Such a good guy, and and it was a it was a pleasure for me to go through my footy life watching um, watching Frank play and and represent the the Vicks alongside Frankie. It's one of those things, Joey, that we do see in the little fellas every now and again, the long sleeves and looking back <laughs> over some of the big V photos, Frankie G didn't mind a long sleeve Guernsey. A lot like wanna... myself, a lot like myself. A lot like yourself. <laughs> I think his guns were bulging a little bit more than yours ever have in a Furnace jumper. So, so I just want to go back. Joey did mention earlier about Ando's greatest team of the last 50 years and, of course, you were named 
on a wing in that. But reading over the article that was released <laughs> upon you being named on the wing, the voucher, and they've said that you're unavailable for comment because you are hunting spatchcock and pheasant in Lancashire. What's going on there, Dom? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like uh, my good mate, the beast. <laughs> the beast putting that one out. I'm not sure if... When, when, when was it... Um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe I was. Maybe I was. It was uh, uh, in 2017 that came out. 2017. I, I've got a feeling I was over. My son studied over in um, in England, and I went across after after he finished, and and yeah, I took him through Ireland to see some, you know, my cousins and my uncles and stuff <laughs> of, of, from Ireland. So. <laughs> I think I think the beastie was just having a um a bit of a laugh. <laughs> and as we let you go, Dom, we had a chat earlier yep. to Vinnie Arthur and Paddy Mount. Of course, the Arthur name has got uh, the honour boards named after them. The Mount name has the club rooms. We're about to have a chat to Peter Brabender, who has the social room bar named after him. Is there anything at oh, Old yeah. Parade named after your good self? <laughs> I doubt it, mate. Maybe the wing. Yeah, I'm not sure about the wing either. <laughs> Surely yeah. we can get the Spillane wing up and running at Garvey Oval. Oh, God. Um, good, luck with, good luck with that. <laughs> well, we will start a campaign right now to get it up and running. Dom, we appreciate you going back down memory lane with us today. Uh, good luck with what lies ahead in 2020, and hopefully we can catch up at Garvey Oval soon. Oh, good on you guys. I appreciate your, uh, your, your time, and, um, yeah, it, it's great. Thanks very much. Nico, how good to chat to Dom Spillane. We're going to keep on moving. Pete Brabender has got a story to tell. Not only is he the game's record holder for Old Parade, he is the game's record holder for the VAFA dating back to before you and I were born. That's right. He started playing in 1987. He has played 428 games out of a possible career of 444. That is some significant durability. And he joins us on the line now. Hello, Peter. How are you going? Very well, mate. Not as well as you. 428 games out of 444. That's not a bad record, Pete. Oh, I've got Pete, yeah. A few boys have ridden me about uh, a couple of games on this. Were they, uh, were they missed through injury or were they by choice that you didn't play? Did you have to be managed, rested? What's the story? Uh, I think I missed probably nine one season where I had a PCL injury. A little niggles and that sort of stuff, but nothing major. I was quite fortunate, to be honest. Like, I do want to ask you about that 400th game. Um, going through the record books, you've just you've not just run out there and played the 400th, got it done, and you know had a great party afterwards. But you've decided to put a party on while you're out there. You've kicked nine goals in your 400th game. Can you take us through that game and some of your memories of that fantastic milestone? Somewhere along the line, I've, I've managed to get an extra one. So. Would have liked to make it 10. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty bizarre lead up and everything to it. There was a few interviews done and, and things like that, which was quite uncommon for somebody who sits down local football. And I must admit, I was pretty nervous today. I actually had my niece um, and uh, a couple of nephews and my stepson, who is now, who's boy who's now my stepson, uh, run out onto the ground with me. So that's something that I'll always remember. And I don't know whether the boys just wanted to. Um, obviously win for me, um, but I dare say that I was probably a focus going forward more often than I would have been. Um, I wish there was some video footage of it that um, I had to keep. Apparently there is some out there somewhere in ammo land, but um, I've never seen it. If you can find any, please forward it on. There you go. There's a call out to all the VAFA community. If you've got Pete Brabender's 400th game, he kicked uh, 
Nine by the record books. He's too modest. He says eight. Baffa underscore HQ. Send it through. Uh, Pete, not only did you win a couple of club best and fairest, but you're also the captain through the mid-90s of the footy club. Um, what was it like through the mid-90s? I mean, the club's come through this golden era of the 60s and a couple of B-grade flags in the, in the 70s and in the 80s. Through the 90s, was it a challenge every week to get up and play? We had a really good team. We were sort of B-grade, um, but we were... We always just missed out on final. So we never relegation or anything like that. So we're always around the mark. Um, I mean, in 1996, well, we actually um, made it to the grand final and got beaten by Kennedy. Um, so we played A grade in 97. So it was a pretty good team that we had in terms of culture around the footy club at that time. So it definitely wasn't hard to get up every week to play. The footy club, I mean, you've been there for so long. What was the reasons that you that you got down there and you came down in 1987? Did you envisage that you were going to play for 21, 22 years? I always loved playing football. And my father actually was a pretty handy footballer back in his day, and he always said to people that he might be the best footballer going around, but he'll play for the longest. Now I don't know where he what he saw in me or whatever, but um, I just really loved playing footy. And and sort of back in '87 when I went down there, we were um, I played for junior football for St Mary's and St Damien's, who were local in the area, and it was just basically a natural progression that we had the understanding from St. Damien's under 17 that we were going to go and play under 19 at parade. So we pretty much went up there as a, as a whole unit. They went from one under 19 team that had just won a flag um, to two under 19 teams in two divisions. And I think we were one of the first clubs back then to probably have two under 19 times teams going around. So, And it was just a natural progression from there. I love the place, love the people involved. It's always nice to be back down there with the guys you've spent so much of your life with. And Pete, just last one from me. Obviously, 21 seasons in the system means 21 end-of-season trips, and we have been told by one or two people that you're pretty handy on those end-of-season trips. Now, we don't want details. We understand we're not going to get that, but are there there any trips that stand out to you over the years as some of your your favourites? They all blur into one. (laughs) (laughs) There's folklore stories that go around from past football trips and and they're passing from... From team to team, and you know, Dom Spillane, who you spoke to earlier, this is some definitely some good ones that revolve around him. Uh, I must say, what happens on a trip stays on a trip, so I can't divulge any story. Oh, you're far too modest for us. Uh, plug it now. The nickname did it come from Tony Lockett? Did it come from kicking big bags? What's the situation, and how'd you get the nickname Plugger? Uh, actually, a guy called Damien Reeve uh, gave me that nickname. Um, I used to have a mullet. And um, I definitely wasn't from kicking goals. I was a backman early on, and he was my full back, and I was his back pocket. And um, he just said that I looked like Plugger Lockett with my mullet. So that stuck. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, Plugger, it's been an absolute treat going down memory lane and, and talking about your career. 428 games. Do you think uh, you'll get a call one day from the Ammo's organisation to say, someone's about to knock you off? Well, Pays is uh, stuck on 399 at the minute. Yeah, well, if someone does, get on All the records are there to be broken, and I'm definitely not making a comeback. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 428 is the final number for your good self, Pete. We appreciate you joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. Take care, and hopefully we catch up in uh, 2021. Cheers, boys. 428 games for Pete Brabender, Nico. Unbelievable scenes from the great man. And in his 400th game, he kicked a big bag of eight. According to himself, according to a few records, he may have kicked nine. But according to history, he may well have kicked ten. No one will know. What I can tell you, though, exclusively right now, is that Brian Taylor was out there, Nico. Brian Taylor was out there in his 400th game against Yarra Valley. 
and I've managed to track down, as Pete mentioned, he wants to know where the vision is. BT was wow. out there. He's managed to track down one of his highlights goals. This is how oh. BT called it on that particular day. <laughs> How good's that, Nico? That is one of the <laughs> biggest benders I've ever There's seen in my life. Work there, Joey. Some of your finest work, uh, Going beautifully. Going beautifully, Nico. You know what else is going beautifully? The current oval that they play on, the Garvey Oval. We know it's the envy of the competition. They've got the beautiful white picket fence. And let me tell you, for people out there, if you've got any interest in this at all, there's a couple of photos on uh, the Google Translator, the Google Web there of kangaroos jumping across the ground. So good is the ground that kangaroos reside there when the weather is perfect. In fact, I've got the photo up right now, Nico. You can see it behind me on the Zoom. A couple of kangaroos just taking their spot at centre-half forward for the big game. But they weren't at Garvey Oval their whole history, no. Back in 1929, as we've heard earlier, they were out at Warringal Park in Heidelberg. And the assumption is that because Lou and Frank Mount lived out that way, uh, they just decided that that was going to be the Oval. But I'm more impressed that they came across to Yarra Park in Swan Street, just a few k's from the Parade College. Of course, they've got a great and strong connection with the college, which I'll get you to talk about in a moment. Uh, but they shared the ground with Old Scotch up until 1977. That venue, that area is High Sense Arena in Melbourne Park now. Uh, and then, of course, moved to Garvey Oval in 1978. The school grounds where Parade College is 10 years earlier. They moved there in 1968 and they've been there ever since. The ground is magnificent. I know it gets used for finals. It is the envy of all competition grounds across the Amos competition. It is. It's a beautiful ground. It's got the white picket fence or at least the look of the white picket fence which is as you mentioned earlier the envy of clubs because that's what you absolutely love whether you're playing footy whether you're playing cricket you love a beautiful surface surrounded by a beautiful white picket fence and I mean I think it's interesting like we, we, we see these days there's not a lot of clubs that share grounds we've got old Severians and Perrin Assumption do share Tirac Park granted um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but the fact that uh, Parade shared Yarra Park before that second oval was built, they shared it with Old Scotch, and I do wonder if there is a bit of a rivalry there between the Cardinals and the Raiders. But looking at both of those clubs, you've got the Raiders now have gone out to Garvey Oval, which is beautiful. You've got Scotch now gone out to uh, Camberwell Oval, which is itself a beautiful Premier Cricket ground. So both clubs have done pretty well since making that move from Yarra Park. Absolutely. And we're going to have a chat to one man who's played many games on Garvey Oval and it may not have looked that way uh, not only a few years ago. His name is Daniel Spitty. He was the captain during the fight back. He's about to join us to talk us through the early 2000s. Well, Nico, let's move into the modern years. We just finished talking about some of the fantastic grounds that have uh, once hosted Old Parade and currently they're doing some great things out at Garvey Oval. They, of course, host Amos Finals and and they've got the magnificent white picket fence that looks absolutely magnificent. It's the envy of a lot of footy grounds around Victoria. And one man who got to play on it a lot of times is Daniel Spitty, described as a dour, tough defender and one of the driving forces behind the club's fight back in the 2000s. He joins us now. Hello, Daniel. G'day, Joe. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Let's start with this fight back in the 2000s. I, I spent a bit of time throughout my life working with a man who was part of the Richmond Footy Club Save Our Skins campaign, who's told me 
intimately about just the struggles, of course, to get a Richmond footy club back up and running in the late 90s, sorry, the early 90s. What was it like for a local footy club in the early 2000s that was on the brink of its knees and on the brink of almost extinction? Well, it was a bit of a baptism by fire, actually, because I was pretty young going through that uh, sort of early early 20s. I have fond memories, actually, of uh, sort of rising from, from the ashes and Fight Back Club was uh, actually a concept that was driven by uh, a guy called Stephen Philp who played at, uh, played at parades as a club legend as well. So we nicknamed him Fight Back Philpy. He was a, a driving force around it. And I think when you're backed up against the wall and, and you're trying to attract uh, new players and new talent and new energy into the club, one of the, one of the things that you do have at your disposal is people. Back then, the emphasis in and around the club, whether it be on-field or off-field, was really around building a great culture. Uh, which has always been uh, a strength of the OPs. That back at that time was, was a real culture and, and creating a, uh, an environment that people, uh, whether they be players or supporters or fans or the community, is somewhere that, uh, that, that people like to come to. And, um, you know, I've, I've been back to the club in recent times and, and certainly uh, it's a place that I like going back to since. So. They're, they're the memories and I suppose the focus areas as a club back then as to what we what we could actually do that was within our control and, and that then uh, paved the way for the future success uh, throughout the, the rest of the years there. So the reason we do these podcasts is obviously to talk about the positive things that the club have done and, and obviously it's a great success that the club still survives and they're the ninth oldest in the competition and of course we want all our clubs to survive but just through that period, Daniel... How bad did it get? Did, I mean, how close were you to shutting the doors and Old Parade becoming extinct? As uh, the, the captain of the club back then, I think, yeah, again, I was, I was fairly young. Uh, we've come up, we came off a really strong uh, flag in, in the 19s back in, I think it was 2004, and we, we backed that up in 2005. So we had a really good group of young players, but I think it was... 06, 07 were the years where, that were most tough. Um, and yeah, I was a, a very young captain and had some really great people around me, but it was more the effort off field. So I was also with a number of other players and one in particular, Gitto, my best mate. Um, so we're like the Brangelina of the OP. <laughs> uh, they call us spitting. It was really us teaming, teaming up and we'd go to committee meetings. We'd be on the committee, go to committee meetings, or leading a lot of the fundraisers and, and trying to include a lot of the players in that because that's basically all of the the, the, the people um, that, that we had and the, the, the hands that we had to be able to really make something of it. And during that period too, I remember that it was, it was really drought time and gee, some of the cracks in these ovals that we were training on pre-season um, were, were probably the envy of some of the the, the pitches in the West Indies. It was just, it was just terrible all round. Um, so you know, you can get yourself down and um, you know feel sorry for yourself when when you feel that way. But I think you know, to the club's credit, and it's there's a reason why we are the the ninth oldest club in the in the land. Is in those times you you need to be resilient. We just had great people around us and uh, stuck fat, and uh, we're we're able to pull ourselves out of it. And from an odd field point of view, you you were the captain between 2007 and, and 2010. How enjoyable was that period leading the, the, the team, the on-field brigade from the front each and every Saturday through that little window? Yeah, I mean, it was 
to be the, the captain of a great club like the Old Peas, and um, uh, it was a, it was an amazing honour, um, and the uh, more of an honour I think was was leading the the, the people, um, the great people, and and the players. Um, I got to play with some amazing uh, talent, you know, the likes of Plugger and uh, David Bounty or uh, a few that come to mind were just, yeah, they had talent beyond, certainly well, well beyond me. And uh, it was it was just a, an amazing, amazing time for me personally because I just, I had to pinch myself every time to be in the moment and, and lead the club. And um, I wasn't blessed with uh, a lot of footy talent, but um, I think playing in the back line like I did and uh, we had some formidable opponents as well, uh, just just leading the, the, the team and, and Certainly, from 20, 2007 into 2010, where we did play in the grand final against uh, Old Foes Banuel, um, just the, the rise of the team and the players, and even the, the players that we did have in, the, in really rough times, and seeing the, the growth of those guys through that period was, was very rewarding for me. Now, Daniel, I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself. Joey and I were blessed with... No footy talent. You sound like you're blessed <laughs> with, with at least some. Um, just you touched on him already, but Dave Boundy, from all reports, he could have probably through the mid 2000s gone on and played um, at a higher level, but due to the culture and due to his love for parades, stuck around. Can you tell us a little bit more about Dave and the impact he had on the club during your time? He was unbelievable on field, but I, I suppose also that a lot of what he did behind the scenes that maybe many people didn't see, you know, he was just as committed and, and, you know, you said it around his decisions to sort of help the rise of the Operadians versus maybe, um, you know, his own personal pursuits um, through VFL and AFL um, is a credit to who he is as a, as a person. He's very competitive, hates to lose. Um, and it runs through the, the, the family actually with his uh, younger brother as well, Michael, but um, Rowdy and I, used to have uh, many conversations uh, in the lead up uh, to the game in between weeks and he always had a famous sort of saying that we kept coming back to which was footy, footy's a funny game and uh, we, we kept coming back to that quite a lot actually but no, he was he was an amazing talent. Footy is a funny game and you see some amazing, <laughs> amazing performances at times so for you to uh, sit back, I suppose, and watch Pete Prebender just play week after week, year after year, <laughs> starting in 1987 and only finishing a few years ago. Like that must have been something amazing just to watch from your perspective. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can just imagine the off-field uh, jokes or in, in the club rooms and uh, cocktail nights and, and all, all the rest of it. But um, very unique as a young guy with 19s or uh, in the early days of my senior years and um, you know Plugger would be out with you on a on a Saturday night to the early hours of Sunday morning and you sort of like well don't you have a home to go to? <laughs> 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 or, we, or, or we would just all crash at his place <laughs> so, <laughs> the early days of my footy was I, I learned so much from him and I, I vividly remember um, learning different sort of marking techniques and the way that he uh, would always put his body on the line and just have complete focus for the ball on field. And, um, yeah, I attribute that to, to, to Plugger, really. 
he's a legend. And just last one from me. I just want to like it must have been pleasing. You've gone through all these some some tough years, um, obviously through the mid two thousands, but things have started to get quite a bit better. To then go and watch the club win the two thousand and fifteen flag, that must have been really pleasing from your perspective. Uh, it was pleasing and heartbreaking at the same time because I was actually I lived in Toronto for a few years. Uh, and in 2015, moved to, to all, of all places, Adelaide, and was actually uh, stuck in Adelaide on the day of the game. And um, I remember oh, taking myself into, we, we were just living in Glenelg. So once I heard news of uh, of the win, sort of parked myself in Mosley Square there, basically rang every bloody guy in the club and uh, a few past players as well, and just uh, <laughs> not, not to celebrate. Uh, from a distance, but I just wanted to be oh. a part of it, and you know, whether it was Chrissy Kander or, or Rowdy, uh, but even some of the older the older folk uh, like the pluggers and um, like the players that uh, you know were involved, particularly through that period, as you, you keep referring to in that fight back period. It was just really really special, uh, even from afar. So um, it was a massive smile on my face for, for many days after that. And what about for yourself, Daniel? Described as a dour, tough defender as a player. When you got down to the club, did the uh, the coach just decide you're a back pocket plumber and you're going to stay there the whole time? Yeah, well, it's, something must have happened because I started my 19 days playing full forward. And then, uh, yeah, something must have happened. I have did so much, something to someone and they've whacked me in the back, back pocket. So I, I just love the challenge. Um, didn't have enough talent probably to stay in the forward line and, and Dazzle, and particularly when you're fighting for spots um, against the likes of Boundy and Plugger. And, um, yeah, it was far easier to kick the ball to them. Um, they usually made the, the poor kicks look good. But no, I, I played against some great opponents um, uh, through that time. And um, yeah, I think the, the Scragger and uh, last line of defence, and uh, that was the perfect role for for people that don't have a lot, it's a perfect role for you to play. I'm starting to agree with Nick here. I think you're selling yourself very short. You won your, the Frank Gleeson medal twice as the most valuable player in 2009 and 10. So you've obviously got some sort of talent uh, running through your veins. Can I ask you just about the honour of winning the Frank Gleeson medal and knowing the impact that, that Frank Gleeson had on the footy club and what it's like not only to win it once, but then to go and win it a second time in the second straight year? It's a, a great reward. Um, or award, you know, Frankie Gleeson himself is a is another legend of the club, and to win the medal in uh, in honour of, of him, and particularly, I'm not sure if you know a lot about how the the award comes about and how it's, it's voted for, but it's actually voted for by all of the players that have played a senior game in that year. I think it's got that added added touch of specialness just through the fact that it is something that's voted voted by the peers. It is special in that the contribution and the effort. Um, is matching the impact that you're having on others. And, um, yeah, that's that's very special to me. And you didn't use your captaincy speech to pump up the voice to maybe just mention it pre-game and half-time. Just a couple <laughs> little sneaky votes for Spitty when you're filling it out a bit later on, boys. Yes, I've been good today, uh, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I have been renowned for, in, uh, in whether it be presentation night or, get a couple of lemonades under my belt, I do tend to go on and on a bit. Um, <laughs> I think so, so, someone had a stopwatch for me in one presentation nine. I think I, I edged out 17 minutes or something like that. I think I thanked everyone in the club. Um, 
So I do, I do have a tendency to go on a bit, but usually <laughs> I'll take the opportunity to have a bit of a chat on the mic any chance I get. <laughs> and as we let you go, I did mention the pregame stuff. As the captain, did you have a, a pregame ritual that you'd say to him every single week? Was it a planned speech or what were the tactics to go into every game? Are you ranting and raving? We're just going to beat these blokes and just start yelling? Or did you eyeball teammates? What was the uh, pregame routine? I remember one game actually coming out from half time, and I just had a complete. Well, we were playing out at Emmaus, and uh, yeah, I can't remember whether we were a couple of goals down or a couple in front. But um, anyway, I got I got to the position, got all the boys together, and was about to to rant and rave and pump them up. And I just had a complete mind blank and didn't say anything at all. And I just said to the guys, "Shit, guys, I've just completely forgotten what I was about to say." Um, <laughs> I'll just let you go. <laughs> so luckily for me, that didn't happen often enough that that, that became the uh, the ritual itself. But um, no, no, no stirring speeches. I mentioned him before, but Giddings, he he, uh, he had a famous rev up uh, in our under 19 uh, grand final. He actually broke, broke his arm in the first 30 seconds of the game, and he was the captain, and um, he decided to pump, uh, you know, 17, 18. 19-year-old boys up with uh, a bit of nostalgia talking about Abraham Lincoln. So I'm not sure how much of that actually <laughs> sunk into the boys, but it must have done something because we ended up winning the flag. Uh, but that's probably my most fond memory of a, of a pre-game uh, rev up that I can remember. That is amazing that you even remember it. I, I couldn't remember <laughs> one of them. Nico, I, I can't remember one pre-game address from any captain and even the ones that I've given. Well, I could remember you a few times, Joey, uh, going to say something and forgetting completely what you're going to say. So at least you've got that in mind. <laughs> Daniel, it's been great to uh, to catch up, to, to not only talk about unfortunate times during the 2000s, but it has been great to relive it and the fact that Old Parade is still going and we're able to celebrate them today and put them in focus has been absolutely fantastic. Congratulations on your career with them. Hopefully the next time they're in a grand final and they do win the flag, you're at the ground and maybe, just maybe, the club will ask you to present the Premier trophy rather than ringing around from the middle of Glenelg in Adelaide, mate. Take care and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, boys. And can I just finish by saying you're beast. Well, Nico, we are flying through the modern years of the old Parade Footy Club and our final stop before this magnificent, massive podcast edition finishes is with the current captain. He is equal in the longest serving of the current captains at Old Parade. It's Chris Candelakis. We spoke to him a couple of years ago on the Vaffer podcast, and he's been good enough to rejoin us after uh, a couple of years since we last had him on. Hello, Chris. How you going, fellas? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. I know Nick has been very excited about this since we last <laughs> had you on. Um, do you remember what we spoke about last time we spoke to you, Chris? I do pretty clearly, actually, yeah. Uh, for those who didn't <laughs> catch up with it, and I know Nick's hanging out. Nick, in fact, do you want to recount the story of what happened last time we spoke to Chris? Well, it was a fantastic opportunity to get Chris on last time. It was about 14 rounds into the season, old parade in Division 2. They're absolutely flying. It was them and Whitefriars, really, but parade were 14 and 0. So Joey's just like, we've got to get Chris on. Chris was brilliant enough to join us, and he's come on at 14 and 0. And Joey's gone, and he's made the, he's made the call that parade, which were only one of six teams in the state at that point to be undefeated at that point of the season. He made the call that they were going to go through undefeated. And then it was just like the walls all just came tumbling down. They lost three of their next four. They couldn't win the grand final. I just want to know, 
Chris, from your point of view, have you forgiven Joey yet with Mozenias? Um, not really, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever will. <laughs> I had a feeling you guys would bring this up, and I was hoping my footy fortune turn around a little bit after this call. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I'm going to categorically apologise to you right now and to the whole old parade footy club. It wasn't my fault that a little bit of pressure went on after being 14 and 0. The record, <laughs> the way you guys were going, you were on your way, Chris. You were on your way. We certainly were. And I copped a fair bit of flack as well for that uh, podcast last time. So I hope that doesn't come around again. Let's talk about more positive things, Chris, than the 2018 finish of the season. Let's go back to 2015 and talk about that successful day. It was 29 years in the making for Old Parade between the 1986 Premiership, who we spoke to Dom Spillane a little bit earlier on in the podcast about. Just take us through that year and that day in particular. That year, I think we finished uh, fourth by memory. We definitely had to win the last game of the round to get through to the final. I think the previous, uh, the second last round, we lost to Preston Bullant. And then the last round of the year was against South Melbourne. And at that stage, we were struggling quite a bit. So we sort of liked our chances. And then so we finally got through, finished fourth. And then we had a game at Highgate Arena against uh, Preston Bullant, who no one really gave us a chance after they gave us a little bit of a touch-up in the second last round. We got over the line from there and we sort of just, started steamrolling ahead. We got a bit of momentum behind us. Um, as you know, I know you've spoken to a few guys before me, but the old Paradians have a huge following. Everyone back from back in the day and, you know, throughout the guys that we've played with over the years, they all got behind us and there was just crowd numbers like we'd never seen before at um, out at Highgate Arena. Then the following week, which was at Aquinas College, we played against St. John's. And that was a bit of a strange day. In the prelim, we... um. Lost to an old vice captain of ours in the stalwart of the club. It was quite sad in the um, in the warm up. He did his uh, calf, and so we started. I think with one short on the bench from the start of the game, and I think they kicked the, f- the first few goals with a howling wind at Aquinas, and then I think we kicked seven straight in the second quarter, and we went on from there. So we got through the prelim, and then sure enough, we faced off at Ivanhoe at Highgate Arena, and the start and Getting into the game, I can remember a little bit more than the actual match itself. The actual match is a bit of a blur. It's, it's strange. It's sort of a lot going on in grand final day. And it's certainly um, a little bit of pressure being 29 years in the making. But as a whole, we sort of just came together. And I've, I've never seen blokes play the way they did that day. Guys, you never expect to, you know, carry the load. And certainly they all just put their hand up. And we ended up getting away with a win in a low-scoring match, which was, um, yeah, my best footy memory, certainly. Oh, I absolutely love that, Joey. Now, we often ask people about their memories about grand final victories and stuff, and never have we received a play-by-play on that. You think he's thought about that since that day, Joey? Absolutely unbelievable. Chris, that year, yourself, uh, individually, not just obviously from a team perspective, but you won the first of two Frank Gleeson medals as the MVP. So clearly a great year for yourself individually as well. I suppose, you know, being captain, you I tend to think maybe you get a few more votes than you probably deserve. I went away middle of the year and I went away to Vietnam and I'm, I'm on our mid-week, mid-year break and um, I actually yeah, missed the week after. So that was that Queen's birthday round and we have off and then I missed the week after and I actually think that did me the world of good really coming into the end of the year. It's just a, just a couple of weeks off, get let the body get right and yeah, I was lucky enough to 
string some few few good games together towards the end of the year. Chris, the, the Frank Gleeson medal, uh, Daniel Spitty explained how the voting process is done a little earlier on when we spoke to him. Uh, I'm not sure if it's like that in reserves or in under-19s and if you've ever won a best and fairest prior to playing in the seniors, but just the honour of winning it knowing that it's your peers and your teammates who have voted for it and not only have you won it once, you've also gone and, and won it twice, as Nick mentioned. As you say, yeah, it's certainly the one, the BNF's the one that always sticks to mind when... Um, you look up on the board and, you know, you've, you've won one next to your name, which I actually haven't got, but, you know, that's the first thing people look at. But internally in the club, as being a player and one that's been around long enough to know, that the Frankie's definitely the one that's um, probably as highly respected, if not more, within your teammates. Because obviously if you're respected by them and if you go about it the right way, it's not necessarily the best player, but just the one that you want with a bloke by your side, they're the, they're the ones you sort of give the votes to, really. What about the captaincy on it, Chris? You're equal most in the club's history. You've had it since 2013, and assuming that we were going to have a season this year, it was going to continue on into 2020. What's it like just being captain of a club with such a rich history? It obviously is a massive honour and um, something that I actually cherish. I'm, I'm really, really lucky in a sense because... Um, when I actually received the captaincy, we had a bloke step down before me. So um, he sort of just passed it straight on to me. And at that stage, David Boundy was coaching. And I can always remember David probably not wanting to be a captain coach as such. He always wanted a captain by his side. So, um, yeah, I was really lucky because I, I reckon if we had another coach, David probably would have been the captain for sure. And um, my brother actually just came from playing VFL and he hadn't really played a operating game for a while so I don't think he was forefront of mind on being captain so I got lucky in a state in a in a way when I first took it on board but then over the last few years and particularly 2018 and 19 um I think I really really grew into it and it's probably at a point now where as I said you're assuming I would have taken on I, I may have handed it over really because um body's sort of not holding up and it's it's a little bit, it's really the time in my life where to give it to someone else and there's a couple of guys there waiting in the wind who are really ready for it. So, yeah, it's been great, but I think um, I think that would be my centre. Chris, looking back, and just last one from me, looking back, you've obviously had this incredible run of captaincy, a premiership, the Frank Gleeson medal a couple of times. Looking back and thinking about when you first got there to now, what does the club mean to you? Gee, it's a tough one, but... um. I got being there as a 17-year-old, and I was quite of a young 17-year-old. I was really, really lucky that um, guys like Daniel Spitty, Daniel Giddings, my brother-in-law Peter Bravender, guys like that were all uh, were all there to just sort of guide me through. I was pretty lucky that my brother was playing there at the time, so I sort of had a bit of a leg up. I didn't really come there with any close mates of mine. They all went to sort of play at Northern Footy League club, even though I didn't really have any close mates. I was lucky enough to um, yeah, meet a few guys and guys I knew previously and then from there I was sort of just not uh, really touted as the next captain but I was sort of lucky enough that guys really put some time into me and um, may have seen something in me that I never knew that was there and once I recognised that and once they kept um, really instilling me with that confidence then I sort of yeah, I suppose I'm just really lucky, and it does. It means it means a hell of a lot to me, the operating footy club. You know, being a 31-year-old and getting there at 17, it's in that time you're growing to a man. And I don't think um, 
I could see myself playing anywhere else, really. I, I absolutely adore the place, and I know I'll be welcome back there till my day's end. It's a lovely note to finish on, Chris. We uh, appreciate you giving us some of your time on the Club In Focus podcast. I'm sure next time we speak, you'll be... 14-0 and, and on your way to another premiership, hopefully. And, and when we do that, uh, you'll come through with the goods and you'll be raising another cup in the not-too-distant future, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, fellas. Appreciate it. Uh, Nick Armistead, this has been a huge addition of Monster. the Club in Focus podcast. It may be one of our biggest. I'm contemplating this being a two-parter. It is that big for the old parade footy club. We could go on forever. Some of the stories that we've uncovered through Vinnie Arthur, through Paddy Mount, through Pete Brabender, Dom Spillane, and uh, Dan Spitty are just – it's an extraordinary club. And, I mean, they've been around since 1929, so they've got a few stories to tell. It is. It, it's it's amazing. And we knew that there were going to be stories. But I think the thing for me, there was an overarching theme through all of the interviews, and that's just how much every one of the people we interviewed just loved the club and, and how much we'll, – and, and as an extension of that, how much they love partying with each other and, you know, socialising with each other. And you heard – you could hear probably – in his voice, Daniel Spitty, the disappointment of not being able to get across to the 2015 grand final when he was stuck in Adelaide, but he was on the phone. He was sitting in Adelaide. He's on the phone to every single player, just calling and trying to trying to celebrate with those guys. So it was a fantastic podcast. I mean, Vin, I, I don't like choosing favourites. It's like choosing a favourite child, I suppose. But Vinny, and just with some of the enthusiasm he spoke about, not just his old man, but his time back at the club from the early days was just simply amazing. And his father, Lou, just getting the boys together on the Friday night before the grand final because he knew that boys will be boys, Joseph. And they knew they were a bit nervy. They might try to settle those nerves with a beverage or two. And he thought, no, under my watch, you'll be fine. And they went out and they won the flag. And just amazing to look back on such a great club with such a great connection to their schools and such a fine history. Certainly, absolutely. Nico, thank you for being part of it. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to all our guests and to Damien Hannum from the Old Parade Footy Club for helping us organise it all today. It's been magnificent to go down memory lane and look at Old Parade and putting them in focus. And, of course, it would not be possible without the help and support of our great friends at Mequacare. And, Nico, we've still got a few months left of 2020 without any footy or pre-season training. So if clubs want to get their own club in focus, just reach out to Nick Armistead at vafa.com.au through the Twitter handles at vafa underscore HQ or even on the Facebook page. There's still time that you can have your club put in focus. I do know coming up very shortly, I'm so excited that we are going to talk about old Fitzroy. That's right. The Fitzroy boys from Brunswick Street Oval is coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So stay in tune for that. And I'm promising you right now, Nico... We are going to have a very, very, very special guest that no one knows about yet, but he knows he's going to come on and he's going to talk about the old Roy boys. It's going to be a pleasure. I can't wait for it. But until then, I look forward to seeing you down the line, Nico, very, very soon.